Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right, thank you so much for uh, being here. Uh, we're kind of getting teased with spring right now, so uh, hopefully that stops teasing us pretty soon. Uh, this morning I want to start a new series. Uh, we're calling it uh, Encounters with Jesus. Uh, what I want to do, uh, well, well first, now I'm a little biased when I say this, but, but I want to tell you what I love uh, about this church. I'm just a little biased, but uh, I love, one of my favorite things is just the fact that I look forward to coming to this place every week. Uh, that there's not a week that I, I come out of duty or, or that I dread being here. Uh, but it's a place that I look forward to coming to. Uh, I love seeing your faces every weekend. In fact, I have a pretty good thing uh, uh, for losing hours of sleep so I could see your faces an hour earlier. That's pretty good. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I should have thought that with Emily. But uh, <laughs> all right. Um, but I love coming here seeing you. I love just knowing that as we engage in worship, that the, the presence of God meets us here every week. And I love hearing myself talk. Come on. Anybody else? <laughs> no, not really. But um, uh, when Emily and I were just thinking, you know, when this church was nothing more than a, a dream in our heart, uh, one of the visions that we had for this church was uh, that we want that to be the case for anybody who comes here, that church would never be a chore, that church would never be somewhere we have to go. It's somewhere that we get to go. Uh, I, I believe that church, I used to say this all the time, should be the most exciting place on the earth because if we believe in what Jesus has done for us, we should be the most excited people on the earth. And I hope that you experience that when you come here. I hope that uh, you take truths and, out of the teachings that you're encouraged or challenged. I hope that during worship um, you find it engaging and powerful. Uh, my hope for you is that uh, in this church you will build relationships that last a lifetime and impact your life but if you said pastor uh, what is one thing you hope for out of your church uh, there would be a simple response that I wouldn't even have to think about it is that when you walk in the store you encounter Jesus Christ my hope for you is that when you enter this place you encounter Jesus Christ when you encounter Jesus when you encounter God and his love and and just his redemption and forgiveness and grace. When, when you encounter Jesus Christ, it's more powerful than any sermon. It's more powerful than any song when you touch God. Uh, we're no longer talking about his power, but we experience it. And we're no longer talking about his love. We experience his love. Um, I want you to come here, church, with that mindset that we're not just coming to, to hear about Jesus to sing about Jesus. When we walk through those doors, we come with the anticipation that I'm coming in this place to encounter Jesus Christ. Uh, when I think about this, uh, I think about the woman at the well. Um, the Bible says that uh, when, she was, when Jesus encountered her, she went back to her city, she told everybody about Jesus, and they came out, and then they experienced Jesus, and then they said to her, we no longer believe because you told us, we believe because we've heard it for ourselves. In other words, it's not just because somebody told me, now we've encountered the person of Jesus Christ. And that's my vision for this church. And actually, as we begin this series, we're going to be in that story uh, with the woman at the well out of John chapter 4. Uh, if you want to read on the screen or uh, go in your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 4. It says, now Jesus had to go 
through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called, it's pronounced Sukkar, near a, a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the, into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Just so you know, that's like the understatement of Scripture right there, that Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, do you, uh, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now what I want to do for a moment is I want to fast forward in the teachings of Jesus Christ and we're going to take something that he said later down the road and we're going to pull it into this story. So we're going to fast forward to John chapter 12 verse 47. Jesus says a, a very simple statement but a very revealing statement. He says, I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. And John 3.17 says something similar. The Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world but that the world would be saved through him. Now, what I want to focus on here is those last two words, the world. Now, this tells us something very important about Jesus Christ. It tells us that he rec recognized the magnitude of his mission. Uh, Jesus understood he wasn't just there to bring salvation to his friends and family, or even to just Israel, or even to just the Middle East. Jesus understood he was there to bring salvation to the entire world. So the question is, how do you do that? And first I want to answer with human logic. What you do is you reach as many people as you can, as quickly as you can. Uh, when Emily and I were starting this church, I found this this morning, uh, before we ever had our first meeting, uh, we sent out, I think it was about 10,000 of these, uh, we called it a special preview service at the Cranberry Mall. We said, uh, we just want to introduce ourselves. You have no idea who we are. We're starting a church. Uh, come find out about us. And uh, I remember when we were doing this, we got our nice pictures there on the back. Uh, and when we were doing this, I had to, to do this thing on the computer where it brings up a map. And it says, where do you want to send these to? And you drop a pin on the map. And uh, there's a radius around it, and it tells you the concentration of people in that area. So what you're trying to do is you drop the pin so that you can reach the most people near that area. And kind of a funny story there. I was actually delivering mail at the time. Uh, so uh, I delivered a lot of these myself. And uh, I was being uh, trained on one of the routes. So the, the trainer was in there with me. And I pulled up, and this guy met me on the mailbox. And I handed him one of these. And he said, Oh, just so you know, if you're ever on this route and you have something like this, it can go straight in the trash. And uh, 
the trainer looks at the guy and says, look a little closer at the picture. <laughs> so he looks at me and he says, oh, uh, actually, I love this type of male. <laughs> but I was thinking, if I were Jesus, uh, we'll call it a campaign manager here, and I said, okay, Jesus, you want to reach as many people as you can as quickly as you can, and you only have about three, three years to do it, because we're trying to save the world. We want the entire world to believe in uh, you here. So I, I would say, Jesus, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the biggest cities with the greatest concentration of people. And then, Jesus, do you remember when you, turned the, 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 well, when you fed about 10,000 people with the loaves and the fish? That was the perfect miracle because it was quick and easy and it touched about 10,000 people. So here's the plan. We only have three years. We're going to every city and we're going to do that miracle on repeat. Over and over, we're just going to touch 10,000 people at a time. And what's going to happen is over the course of time, you're going to save the world. But the Bible says his thoughts are not our thoughts. And it says his ways are not our ways. So if you notice in that scripture, it says something. It says, and Jesus had to go through Samaria. Understand about something about Samaria. Nobody had to go through Samaria. I remember when I was in high school working at a restaurant, uh, if I would leave about 11 uh, p.m., uh, the quickest way home was through the bad area of town. I didn't go the quickest way home. I would take the long way around just to avoid that bad area. The Jews actually did this with the land of Samaria. If they were traveling, they did not want to go through Samaria. Samaria was a location that was uh, just birthed in sin. Samaria was so unclean. Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. So again, if I'm his manager here, I'm saying, okay, we'll go to Samaria. But when we get there, we're going to the capital city, and we're doing the loaves and fishes, and we're on our way. The Bible says Jesus went to uh, a land called Sukkar, a city called Sukkar. Uh, this comes from a Greek word. The literal meaning here is the city of drunkards. So not only does Jesus say we're not going to the great cities, we're going to Samaria. Not only are we going to Sam Samaria, we're going to go to the land of drunkards. And then he does something even more crazy. He gets to the land of drunkards, and he doesn't even go inside. He tells his disciples to go in, and he's just going to wait on the outskirts of the city. At this point, I would quit. I would say, Jesus, your strategy will never work. His ways are not our ways. So Jesus sends his disciples into the city, and Jesus waits at the well for this one woman to show up. This tells us something. With the whole city up the road, Jesus' heart was set on the one. You need to understand this morning that you are not a category you are not part of a mass amount of people, but to Jesus Christ, you are an individual. Jesus' love is for you 
specifically. His calling, his choosing is for you specifically. In Luke chapter 15, actually uh, in three of the four Gospels, it says he would leave the 99 to go after the one. And that's what we find in this story. Jesus isn't worried about the great cities and the, 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 mass, the mass volumes of people. He's concerned about the one. You know, this could have been in our series last week on grace because we find so much grace happening here. Again, uh, first of all, he's talking to a woman, which was kind of a no-no in their culture, but Jesus opted for grace. Then he was talking to a Samaritan. Again, a no-no in their culture, but Jesus opted for grace. Then it was a city of drunkards. You would not associate with Jesus opted for grace. And then there's the reality that this woman came to the well at noon, which you would only do if you're trying to avoid the crowds in the morning or the evening. If you are the person in the city of drunkards who is an outcast because of your past, then you have a serious past. But what Jesus does is he meets her with his grace. And then he makes an offer to her. He says, what I want to offer you are streams of living water. Now, if you went to Jeremiah chapter 2 or a number of places in Scripture, in Jeremiah 2 it says, My uh, people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. Who? The spring of living water. When Jesus would talk about the living water, he was talking about the very presence of God, God himself. So Jesus is coming to this one woman offering restoration, offering redemption and salvation. And I want to continue in the book of John. So the last verse said, the woman said to him, uh, this is beginning in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied, and Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors uh, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that uh, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who am uh, speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and were supposed to find him talking with a, or surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and to, said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And I'm going to skip down to verse 39 for the sake of time. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Uh, he told me everything I ever did. Or, uh, because of her testimony, 
that he told everything she ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman I mentioned earlier, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love that it says, many came to believe because of the woman's testimony. One more time, church, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And now what we're finding is Jesus' strategy, if you want to call, the, call it that, is actually brilliant. To reach the many, you reach the one. To touch the masses, you just change the life of the one. This woman who has now encountered Jesus is telling everyone she knows. And see, we have this, this idea in our minds as we cry out for revival and just a move of God's Spirit. It's almost like we envision this day of Pentecost where just the Holy Spirit just falls on the community all at once. And that would be great. But the biblical model is more of one person catching fire. Revival begins with one person who encounters Jesus Christ, who goes and tells everyone they know, I have encountered Jesus Christ. And then they come and they encounter Jesus Christ. Now this is important because John chapter 17 says that the same way that the Father sent Jesus is how he's sending us. He's sending us to that individual, maybe the one that, that's doesn't feel like they deserve it, the one that's the outcast of society. Those are the, the individuals that God is sending us to. Uh, there's a series that came out a while back on TV uh, called The Chosen, uh, and I think it does a really good job of depicting this event. Now, I want to say that uh, in this video, what they do is they attempt to fill in the gaps based on uh, just culture and things like that. So this is not a verbatim reading from scripture. Don't take your doctrine from this TV show. And in fact, that's a really good rule of thumb. Don't take your doctrine from TV shows. Take it from the word of God. But this video does a really good job of bringing this, uh, this event to life. So I want you to take a minute just to watch it on the screen.
give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You were a Jew. He's got a drink for me and serenity. A woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. And it's not safe for you to be alone in here. No, you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, all of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you. In the heat, as you would so kind of Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Using what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? And to be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I will give you living water. Right. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than some other water, hmm? That's not what I said. Are you better than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. You don't have a husband? You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> well, I say, you're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. Mm. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. And it's men like you who would make it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly what we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming, and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it. In spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from. Or what you've done.
you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes, he explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust him anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. I came to Somalia just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I'm rejected by others. I know. Not by the Messiah. And you know these things. I was counting on it. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. So, scripture doesn't directly tell us, yeah, you can come up, the reason that um, Jesus brings up her past. It doesn't directly tell us why he goes into, uh, you've been married five times. So some would read this and they would say what Jesus is doing is he is, he is calling her out in her sin. And then she says that Jesus has told me everything. But what we can gather here is if Jesus is doing nothing but airing your dirty laundry, you don't run into town and say, come meet this man who's telling me everything I've done wrong so you can hear it too. But if this woman has been rejected her whole life, and she says, I've met the man who knows it all and loves me anyway. She tells the world. We still got some theme music going on. 
Church, this is the beauty of the gospel that's coming out of the monitors, and if you wonder. Here, I'll fix it for you. <laughs> the beauty of the gospel is that this man who knows everything, he knows your past. He knows every victory, every failure. He knows every, every mistake, every sin. And he's not here to condemn you. He's here to love you, to take it off of your shoulders. And do you know what it takes, church? It takes one person encountering Jesus in that reality that is touched by Jesus Christ that goes to someone else and they say, you've got to see what he did for me. And that is where revival begins. Can you stand up, church? In the midst of all this happening, in John chapter 4, Jesus, he, he encounters this woman, she runs off into town, and then he says something. Uh, it's huge to me. It's in John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus looks at his disciples. If we can throw that on the screen, I think I have it. 4, verse 35. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. When we picture the harvest, we picture the thousands. But Jesus pointed to the individual, single person who he changed her life and said, look at the harvest. The fields are ripe for harvest. As long as there are individuals who do not know Jesus Christ, the fields are ripe for harvest. When we leave this place, we can't just look for the masses to come without the individual coming. And the Word of God says that Jesus is sending us the same way that the Father sent Him, to the individual, to the broken, to the outcast. things about the Bible is it doesn't say that God is sending your pastor to them by himself. Pay him well. It does say that somewhere. But just the last part. The Bible says that he is sending you. When you leave these doors and you see the brokenness and the broken hearts, Fields are ripe for harvest, church. As long as we live in a broken world, the fields are ripe for harvest. So we go through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we, we find the story of the revelations of Jesus Christ. We get to the very end of the Bible. And it ends with an invitation that I want to share with you in Revelation 22, 17. It says, the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? The Bible says the church is the bride. So the spirit and the church of Jesus Christ say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of what? the exact same thing that he offered to the woman at the well. The water of life, the living water. 
church, we have such a precious gift in our hands, the living water of Jesus Christ. Don't leave it in your pocket. Don't leave it in the back seat of your car. Take it to the brokenness around us. Father, I, I pray this morning that, God, we would recognize, recognize the, the, that the fields are ripe for harvest, God. I pray we would begin to see through your eyes, Lord, that you have sent us to the outcast and the broken. I pray that you would mend every broken heart, God. church as Renee leads us I just invite you to take this moment not to sing about Jesus but to encounter Jesus Father as Renee leads us I pray you encounter every heart in Jesus name Lord I pray that we have encountered you in this place and Lord that there will be a burning in our heart Tell others, God, Lord, how you've encountered us. So I pray as we go from this place that we go in freedom and in grace and in, in your forgiveness, God. With eyes wide open to the harvest around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you so much for being here again. We're going to do it again next week. Marlon? I suppose. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.